Okay, so we are in week two of our sermon series through Jonah this summer. So uh, if you missed it last week, we covered just the first three verses of Jonah last week. Chapter one, first three verses. And what we find in those first three verses is really a lot. Jonah is only four chapters, so the narrative of the book just flies through. It moves so quickly through the book. So just in those first three verses, we see this prophet named Jonah receive a call from God to go to this city, this distant evil capital of the Assyrian empire called Nineveh. And Jonah, for a lot of reasons that we talked about last week, very valid reasons, I would say, he decides that he would rather not go to Nineveh. Probably because he's worried about what could happen to him, but also because he's really not sure if he wants the Ninevites to be saved. But regardless, he decides that he doesn't really want to go where God is calling him to go. So instead of going to Nineveh, which would have been east of where Jonah is in Israel, close to northern Iraq, Jonah decides that he is going to go west. But not just a little bit west. Jonah goes down to a port city called Joppa, and he gets on a boat to set sail for Tarshish, which was a place on the eastern side of Spain, all the way across the Mediterranean Sea that was in that day understood as possibly the edge of the world. It was literally as far west as Jonah thought he could possibly travel. And he did all of this, it says in those first three verses, because he wanted to at least try to escape the presence of the Lord. So that's where our narrative picks up for this week. So we have a much bigger chunk of scripture to cover this week. We're going to read from verse 4, which is where we left off last week, all the way to verse 17, which takes us through the end of chapter 1. But for this first little block that we're going to read, we're going to stop at at chapter 6. So here now, it's just Jonah 1, verses 4 through 6, and then we'll read the rest a little bit later. So Jonah's on the boat, and this is what happens. You know the story. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down to the hold of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. So we pick up in our story, and Jonah is on this boat, and he's trying to escape the presence of God. And God hurls this mighty storm on the sea right over the boat that Jonah is on. And, and it's, the storm is so great that all these sailors that I'm sure have seen many storms in their life are afraid that this is going to break up the ship, that this storm is so mighty it's going to tear the ship apart. So, of course, all the sailors on the boat are just, are just overcome with fear, and so they all start praying to their own God. So remember, in, in this day and age, every family, every region, every place would probably have their own set of God. So you can almost imagine the chaos on the boat. You have all these sailors like that are, that are clutching their own family idols, praying to their own God, kind of hoping that it's their God that's responsible for this storm so that they can get it to stop. But meanwhile, they're throwing their belongings overboard to try and lighten 
the load. They're they're searching for hope, praying to their gods, but it also seems like they've kind of come to terms with the fact that this might be it, that this might be the storm that breaks the ship up, and, and maybe this is the end for all of them. Meanwhile, Jonah is asleep in the hole of the ship. I feel like we graze right over that detail, but do you see the the juxtaposition that we have there? The crew is panicking on the deck of the ship, and Jonah is sound asleep in the hold of the ship. He's completely unfazed. He is completely unaware of what is going on in the world outside of his bunk. And finally, the captain realizes this. He realizes that that random guy that they picked up in Joppa that's asleep in the belly of the ship, that he's nowhere to be found. So the captain goes down there and wakes Jonah up and says, what are you doing? You need to wake up. You need to do your part. We're all praying to our gods. You need to be praying to your God. Maybe your God is the one that's responsible for this storm. Maybe you're the one that can save all of us. Maybe your God is the one that's behind this. So I just want to make sure you see what's happening here in these first couple of verses, okay? Jonah is the one who received the call from God. Jonah is the one who decided that he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah is the one who went down to Joppa and paid his fare and got on this boat to set sail for for Tarshish. So we all know as the reader that Jonah is the reason that this storm has fallen on the boat. I mean, we find that answer in the next chunk of scripture that we're going to read, but we already know, don't we? We already know that Jonah is the reason. It is because of him that this storm has fallen on the boat. And yet, up until this point in the story, Jonah's decision to run is causing trouble for everybody else but him. You see that, right? His decision to run, it's causing chaos for everybody else around him except for him. He is blind to the storm that he's created. He's blind to how it's affecting everybody else. He is asleep while everybody else is dealing with Jonah's decision to run. And so there's something here that I want to make sure we don't glaze right over because I think so often we glaze right over this part of the story because we feel like we know it so well. But there's something really powerful here that I want us to notice. And it's this. If you aren't dealing with your junk, then everybody else is dealing with your junk. Don't you know that to be true? I mean, that's one of those things that it's true for our faith, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but I think it's also just true for us in, in life. If you aren't dealing with the stuff in your life, then the chances are that everybody else around you is dealing with the stuff in your life. If you aren't dealing with your anxiety, then everybody else around you is dealing with your anxiety. If you aren't dealing with your anger, with your resentment, or with your frustration, then the chances are that everybody else around you is dealing with all of those things because you refuse to face them. It's true for all sorts of stuff. It's true for grief. If we aren't processing the things that have happened to us in our life, then everybody else around us is dealing with that. That junk, it it accumulates in our life, and it begins to have an effect on everybody else that's around us. So when we apply this to our faith, the language changes a little bit, but it's still the same message. When we don't deal with the sin in our life, when we don't deal with our choice to run from where we know that God is calling us, we don't deal with the fact that we're seeking to flee from the presence 
of the Lord, when, we, when we're disobedient on God's call upon our life and we don't deal with it, chances are it's causing an effect on everybody else around us. Chances are we're causing a little bit of damage to our community because of our decisions to turn our back and to run and then our refusal to deal with those decisions. I mean, that's Jonah, right? I mean, that's what we've seen so far. He decides he's not going to go. He goes down and gets on the boat. He falls asleep in the ship. And we can see as the reader just this path of destruction that he's already leaving in his wake. All because he doesn't want to go where God is calling him to go. So the question that we have to ask is, how is our sin? How, how is our disobedience? How is our unwillingness to go where God is calling us to go? How is it causing trouble not only for us, but also for the people around us? Because again, friends, and I've seen this in my own life many times, right? If, if we aren't dealing with those things in our life, then chances are everybody else around us are dealing with those things in our life. If we aren't dealing with the sin in our life, if we aren't willing to take those things to God, then the chances are that everybody else around us is facing some sort of trouble, some sort of consequence for, for that decision that we've made. So once we realize this, once we can see that in the story, the next question that we have to ask is, is what's the remedy? How do we fix it? What are we supposed to do next? If, if we look at our life and realize that, that we, like Jonah, have been running from where God is calling us, and suddenly we begin to see the, the path of destruction that we have been causing in the lives of those that are closest to us. And once we see that, well, what are we supposed to do? How do we fix it? How do we make the storm stop? How do we make it to where that we can turn around and, and actually start to walk back to where God is calling us? And lucky for us, the sailors ask those same questions. So let's keep reading our story. Verse 7. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may know on whose account... This calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? I'm a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land but they could not for the sea grew more and more stormy against them then they cried out to the lord please O lord we pray don't let us perish on account of this man's life don't make us guilty of innocent blood for you O lord have done it as it pleased you so they picked jonah up and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. 
So the sailors get to a point where they decide that they're going to cast lots, which is a lot like rolling dice. It's a game of chance, but to, to try and figure out whose fault it is that the storm is falling on them. And of course, you guessed it, right? The lots fall on, on Jonah. And, and then they begin to get a little bit suspicious, don't they? I kind of love this part when they start asking him all those questions, right? Like, wait a minute, who, who are you again? Where did you say you came from? What do you do for work? Who, who are your people? And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew. And I worship, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the God who made the sea and the dry land. So you see the irony, right? You see the irony in that answer because the sailors see the irony because it says they're overcome with even more fear when Jonah says this. Jonah knows that his God made the sea. He knows that. I worship the Lord God of heaven, the God who made the sea and the dry land. And yet Jonah is seeking to escape the presence of the Lord. And where is he? He's on the sea. You see the irony there? It kind of, it makes me just like want to bang my head against the wall for Jonah. Like, are you kidding me, dude? You thought that you could escape the presence of the Lord and you know, you know that your God made the sea. So the sailors see that and it makes them even more afraid. So now, now they know for sure, for sure, without a doubt that the cause of this storm is Jonah, is this random guy that they picked up in Joppa. And so they ask him, what are we supposed to do, man? What are we supposed to do? How do, we, how do we fix this? And Jonah, without skipping a beat, right, he says, well, you're going to have to pick me up and throw me overboard. You're going to have to dump me. That's the only way that this storm is going to stop. And the crew doesn't want to do it because that would have been a death sentence for Jonah. I mean, remember the seas, what they're doing right now. The seas are so strong that they think it's going to tear the ship apart. So if they threw Jonah overboard, it would basically be just throwing him to to his death. So it says the sailors try one last time, don't they? They try to row even harder to make it back to the land, hoping that it's not going to come to that, hoping that they're not going to have to throw Jonah overboard. But it, but it gets to the point, the storm gets even worse, and they just realize that they have, they have no choice. So this time they cry out to Yahweh. They cry out to Jonah's God. They cry out to our God. And they say, God, please, please don't hold us accountable for what we're about to do. Don't, don't hold us accountable for this innocent blood that we're about to spill. And, and then they pick Jonah up, and they, they throw him into the sea. And if this is your first time reading this story, which I'm sure for most of you it's not, but if it is your first time reading this story, then you, you get to this part and you think, okay, finally, Jonah finally got what was coming to him, right? I mean, it finally all caught up to Jonah, his decision to run, his refusal to face it, his sleeping in the hole of the ship, his unwillingness to really do anything about it, but still putting the burden on somebody else. Hey, look, you're going to have to be the one that throws me overboard. You think, well, this is it. Finally caught up to him. He's in the raging sea. Surely that's a death sentence, right? I wonder what God's going to do next to save the Ninevites because Jonah is out of the picture now. You almost find yourself thinking maybe Jonah kind of deserves to die in that storm, right? Because of his refusal to listen, his unwillingness to act, and his unwillingness to face the decisions that he's made and, and how it's affected others around him. But that isn't what happens, is it? It says God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah up, to save him. And he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. 
Here's what I want you to see uh, in this story that, that I think, especially in this part, it's, it's one of the more redeeming aspects of Jonah's story is that in this moment, I think even in Jonah's own way, right, he doesn't jump overboard. He tells them they have to throw him overboard. But I still think in this, we can see at least a little bit Jonah's willingness to own it. He finally faces it, doesn't he? He finally faces what, he, what he's causing in the lives of those around him. He finally realizes that maybe he's going to have to go to where God is calling him to go, or at least he can't keep seeking to flee the presence of the Lord. It seems like just for a moment, he finally owns his call. He finally owns that he is the cause of all of this storm that is happening around the boat. He finally owns his stuff, doesn't he? His stuff that everybody else has been dealing with up until this point, he finally, he finally grabs it and is willing to at least own it himself. And, and as soon as he does, as soon as he owns it, and as soon as he is thrown overboard, you see what happens, right? The storm, it, it stops. The seas calm. And then God shows up. God shows up, doesn't he? The storm stops, the seas calm, everybody that once feared for their life is now able to take a deep exhale, and, and then God shows up. I think that's the message for us this morning, that, that when, when we finally face whatever it is that we feel like we've been running from, when we're finally willing to, to turn back and, and go back to where God is calling us to go. It might feel like the storm is raging all around us. It, it might feel like we're stepping out of the boat into a raging sea, into a mess that we have created, right? By making a decision to run away from where God is calling us. And we might have no idea what's going to happen when we step out of that boat. We might have no clue how it's going to work or what's going to come next or what it's going to require of us or how long we're going to be stuck in that water. But what I think what this story shows us is that no matter what, no matter what all those things look like, we can know for sure that when we make that decision to step out of the boat, no matter how late it is, no matter how big the storm has gotten, no matter how far away we are from land, that when we step out of the boat, God, God will show up. God will show up. Because God, God always shows up. Now, I think if we could ask Jonah... He would have said, well, he didn't really prefer God to show up the way that God showed up. I think if Jonah thought that God was going to save him from that storm, he didn't really have in mind spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. The same is probably true for us. God doesn't always show up in our life the way that we would choose for God to show up, the way that we think God is going to show up, or maybe even the way that we want God to show up. But, but God always, always shows up. God always shows up when we make that decision to step out of the boat. So friends, I'll ask you, what, what is it in your life? What sin, what, what stuff are you not dealing with that you can see now when you look back that maybe everybody else has been dealing with it all along? And then the question that I think this part of Jonah's story forces us to ask in response to that is, is are we, are we going to own it? Are we going to be willing to grab it, to pick it up, whatever it is, and, and to take it to God? It's like that song we just read about, read about, sung, right? 
about our, our desire to carry our own yoke, but, yoke, but that burden is, is so, so heavy. And it doesn't matter how heavy we've let it get. When we finally decide to take it back to God, suddenly it becomes lighter. Suddenly God begins to walk with us. But it's a scary moment, isn't it? It feels like stepping out of the boat. It requires us to give up a, a lot of control. What is it in your life that, that you're holding on to, that, that you're running from, that you haven't been willing to deal with, maybe because it's scary or because you don't understand it or because you don't really know what's going to happen once you open that box and say yes to God? What is that? Are you willing to step out of the boat? Because when you do, friends, I hope you see this in the story, because when, when you do, we can know that God is going to show up. We can trust and we can rest in the fact that no matter how long it's been, no matter how far we are away from the land, that God will always show up. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.